Hey guys, and welcome to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Kendra, and we're two Catholic moms with 10 kids between us, living right across the street from one another, living an authentic life, or attempting to, and wanting to invite you into it. So, if you have been Catholic your whole life, or you're not Catholic at all, maybe you're one of our Protestant brothers and sisters, or maybe you've never heard of Jesus before, this is a place for you, and you belong here. God has put this podcast on our hearts, with your heart specifically in mind. We're going to bring you stories of how He has moved, so that you can have hope that He can move in your life too. Hey guys, this is Megan. Welcome back to the His Beloved of Texas podcast. Today we have the one, the only, Catherine Whitaker, the wonderful little Texas gal who has the best accent of all time. Um, Catherine shares with us so much of her heart and wisdom. She blew Kendra and I away when she talked about loving others in a time of racial injustice and politics and how we can just be open and honest and listen to be in proximity to others is beautiful. She also shares her story of trusting God when her son was born and had to have many, many surgeries in the NICU and she feared for his life so many times. And I think there's a theme in our podcast, if you haven't noticed, and it's about trusting God. And it doesn't mean you have to go through something like Catherine did to trust him, but just knowing that he's good, seeing the goodness um, always with him in good times and in bad times, that you can just lean on him. So I hope you hear that today in the podcast. Um, Stay all the way to the end to hear Catherine's beautiful wisdom. And next week, we have the wonderful Mary Lineberg. So come back next week, too. Okay, I hope you enjoy. Bye. Hey guys, welcome back to the His Beloved Podcast. We are so excited you're here again today. I'm Megan. And I'm Kendra. And we have a wonderful guest for you. Um, Catherine Whitaker is here. I'm sure we don't need a whole lot of introduction for Catherine because her reputation speaks for itself. But Catherine's a good friend of ours, and um, we couldn't think of anyone better to start the His Beloved of Texas podcast than our resident Texas gal, Miss Catherine. Um, so do you want to give us a little bit of like background of who you are? Oh, and my baby is not asleep, so hopefully she'll be quiet. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Don't, don't apologize. Yeah, so Catherine Whitaker, a sixth-generation Texan, and that's why I have an accent. So um, mom of six, so my youngest is kindergarten all the way up to college. And we moved to Austin back to Texas after we got married. We lived in Iowa, Indiana, and then we came back. But I'm a Catholic convert, so... If I have to explain all the myths and misconceptions that I once had, or you're like, wow, she's a really bad Catholic, it's because I'm still learning. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and God was gracious and gifted us with um, six kids who have six very different stories. Um, One of them in particular was one that really transformed us. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. And yeah, I wrote a book, Live Big, Love Bigger. And so if you like Cowboy Boots, Dr. Pepper, Jesus, and Barbecue, then you will love the book. And it's also out in an audiobook, so you can always read that. And then and I've with your voice. Do you, and my voice, you, okay, for sure. So I oh, yeah. hear it from your voice. I love, I love listening to you talk. <laughs> I know. Like, I, just, I, I love your accent. It's just, it's amazing. Thank I've you. read it, but I think I need to go back and, and do the audio. Yeah, kids find me embarrassing. So they're like, Mom, <laughs> they really? you sound so Texan. Because we live in Texas. Um, yeah, so, and then I've been blogging, oh gosh, for... A long time. See, yeah. Claire's 13, so about 13 years in December. Wow. So uh, that's been a good outlet. Writing has always been 
a big passion of mine even in high school. So it's nice to marry the two. And then, you know, then I manage CEO of Team Whitaker at home, which is a new season because everyone is in school. So that's a, that's a weird place to be in motherhood, but. It's a fun, we're like settling in. Also Good. during pandemic, which has been, I know. like we were in it and then we were out of it and then now we're Let's back in Let's just change it, so. the whole world. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I saw something the other day popped up on Facebook that the three of us did a mom's turn ministry. Like, I think it was five years ago. Do you guys remember this? Yes. And it was before Kendra lived across the street. It was, I had never met you before. And it was this cute little flyer of all of our faces popped up. <laughs> I thought, how sweet. We all get to sit down together oh again. God. I don't know. It's been that a- was the beginning of, I, I think, this, this stirring within our hearts and when God just started kind of working on us individually. And then our stories slowly came closer yeah. and closer and more intertwined. I remember cool. that. That was fun. God that was, was a lot of fun. We need you to do some ministry. Share <laughs> yeah. your story. Love some people. Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, we are so excited you're here. I'm excited to hear your story in a little bit because I don't know. I, I've told you along the way, but you've had some really big moments of impacting me and my faith journey. So I can't wait to. Thank you. That's no pressure. I know. Yeah. Hey, no pressure. It's just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm rocking and now y'all are all no, rocking no, with me. It's a mom's way. <laughs> I wish all, people can see that. We're yeah. all mom's way. Um, <laughs> trying to put a baby to bed. But no, I think that's the importance of the story, right? Is sometimes we think our stories don't matter, but there's somebody out there that needs to hear it. There's somebody that's need some hope right now or is struggling and we just get to show how God has shown up. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear it a little yeah. bit. But first I'm gonna ask some fun questions. Oh, all right, you go first. So my question Uh oh, I'm always worried when Kendra <laughs> says that. How much sleep do you normally get? <laughs> because you seem to always be on and I just think, how does she do it all? <laughs> Well, that's the highlight reel. Um, All right. So normally I go to bed between 10 and 1030. Oh, that's good. And I get up at 525. Oh, because you wake up. That's usually what I people. That's knife to the heart. So Monday through Thursday, I get up at 525 and go work out. Like I set my alarm for the last possible second. Yes. I can get out so that way I'm not tempted to hit Do you sleep in your workout clothes? No, but they're laid out next. And (laughs) I literally stumble to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, put on workout clothes, walk out the door. Like that's it. That's it. There's no... Brushing of hair, there's no earrings. It's not, I'm sure people when I work out, they're like, Wow, she just rolled out of bed. Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm not there to impress anybody. Wear it proudly. So, so, typically, that's what I do now, weekends, or now that we have teenagers, depending upon when their work shift is, sometimes yeah. they might go to bed till 11 or midnight. So, it just depends. And then, oh, the pandemic goodness. threw all that off. Like, we yeah. were staying up until 2 a.m. watching, you know, yeah. <laughs> We're like 8.45. We're just now starting to kind of get back into a little bit of a routine. But typically, I try to get about six or seven hours a night. And then sometimes I'll sneak in that power nap now that people are quieter. Yes, you can. I love naps. Me too. That's my secret. It's it's a it's a thirty minute nap, but sometimes I like get serious and go in the bedroom and shut the door and take a two hour nap. <laughs> <laughs> no, no shame. No That's shame. Awesome. Absolutely no. not. Okay, if you could escape COVID and do anything right now, what would it be? Like, oh. there's no COVID rules. You just get to go and be and do oh, whatever you want. I would go to Rome for sure, <gasps> because right now the Pope is doing audiences in the courtyard. And they're intimate, and he's actually talking with every single mm. person, and they're not crazy weird. Yes. I didn't know that. They're not crazy wild. People are waiting their turn. That would be, like, such a bucket list thing There's not me. a million people smushed into And then just to eat Italian food and to stroll the streets of Rome without all the people would be amazing. Mm. But really, any of your, any part of Europe, but that would definitely be the first off for yeah, sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just getting there is the problem. Yes. I really want to go to Rome. <laughs> Trust me, I've been stalking. Like, we are literally watching. We have... 
frequent flyer miles and I'm watching, even if it's just a weekend, we're like, maybe it can happen. Yeah. That's oh. crazy. It's probably not, but you know, it's you fun never to know. Totally. It's fun to well, and you it. have a pilgrimage scheduled for, for France, right? I do. Yeah. So yeah. In, a, in about a year, next October, which <sighs> is going to be fabulous. So we're following four female saints, St. Saint Bernadette. <sighs> Um, St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, St. Catherine Labouret, and St. Joan of Arc. And we're amazing. actually going to celebrate Mass in the church where St. Joan of Arc was martyred. <gasps> wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. This little so gal. Two priests going with us. We have birthday. adoration, um, confession, Mass every day. It's going to be... Chris, if so you're good. listening, that can be birthday, <laughs> Christmas, Mother's Day, yeah, all together. Let's all go to France. Let's all go. <laughs> Again, I'd have to get there, though. I'm scared. <laughs> I'll get better. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay, so if Dr. Pepper did not exist, oh. what would be your <laughs> that go-to? Would be a sad day. <laughs> that would be the end of our. We worried about that with this little Dr. Pepper shortage. Yes. I was like, did you get enough Dr. Oh. Pepper? I was like, I'm never out of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> is the shortage <laughs> over? Did we shortage recover from that? Okay, shortage is over. What would be my go-to drink? Yeah. Oh, probably sweet tea. Sweet tea. Yeah. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A? Um, mango peach, passion. Mango passion yes. tea. Pretty good. So good. But I did. Um, so I, you should know, I'm a Dr. Pepper purist. <laughs> so my kids came home with cream soda, Dr. Pepper, and Mm-mm. that was disgusting. <laughs> Dr. Pepper needs to take that off the shelves. Yeah. It's gross. I've Sorry for anyone anything that in my loves Dr. Pepper. It. I haven't mm. tried it. It's disgusting. Yep, I agree. Mm-mm. No, I like I like it pure. Pure. <laughs> okay, if you could be BFFs with one saint, who would it be? Oh. All right, I'm going to give you a male and a female because I can't follow the rest. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's better. <laughs> male saint would be, um, he's not technically a saint, but he's a blessed uh, Fersati. Pierre mm-hmm. Giorgio Fersati. I'm a big fan of his. Female saints, uh, probably either St. Catherine or St. Therese. Just because St. Therese was a huge part of our uh, neonatal intensive care unit stay. Mm-hmm. And St. Catherine, because she's got a pretty cool name, so... Yes. Yeah. And did you know that she wasn't, um, she was a lay person. She wasn't a nun. Did you know that? I, I found didn't. that out. Wait, yeah. I thought she wore the big thing on her head, right? So because she, was, because she was a third order, um, she wore the habit, but she was not consecrated. So third order wears a habit, but they're not consecrated. Uh, I, I found know. that out from our bishop the other day, and it blew. Wait, are you talking Sienna? Oh, Sienna. Oh, I Sienna. was thinking Lamore with the big thing on her head. Oh, yeah, the big flying nun. No, <laughs> flying uh, nun. St. Okay. Catherine, I should have, there's a lot of St. Catherine. <laughs> yeah, from Catherine Drexel, there's a few. Yeah, so, no, St. Catherine of Sienna. Awesome. I love yeah. her too. I like her fire. I mean, there's so many. I'll, I'll say in the last six months, I've actually been introduced to so many saints that I didn't know existed. So it's piqued my interest to learn more about mm-hmm. just the usual suspects, so to speak. So I got a lot of learning to do. Yeah, they're super fun. That's yeah. neat. That's neat. Okay. Well, should we get started? Let's do it. So um, I told Catherine a little bit this before, but there's so much life story that she has, so we don't want her to have to tell everything, and she's been so gracious in sharing her life with us over the last year with her book launch and everything. So we just, you know, want to know, Catherine, like, what's God doing in your heart right now? Like, what are you, what's going on right now for you? What is he doing for you? What has he done for you in the past? Just whatever you feel like sharing with us. Well, pandemic certainly reminded me of a lot of our time in the NICU. Um, because in the NICU, you have to take things one day at a time. You don't know what the next thing, like the, what's the next shoe that's going to drop. And so when Luke was born 11 years ago, so he just celebrated his 11th birthday. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just thought, we went into it thinking, it feels very much like pandemic. We went into it, we're like, oh, this isn't going to be that bad. We're just going to be here for a couple of weeks, right? Remember 14 days and we'll flatten the curve? Remember that? <laughs> it's just 14 <laughs> days. We can do anything Welcome for to the 6th anniversary of the 14 days and we'll flatten the curve. So... 
I think that's the way sort of we entered into the NICUs. We were like, we knew that he had a pelvic kidney and we knew that we would have a specialist, but he would grow and we would be fine. So pelvic kidney basically means that one of his kidneys sits in his pelvis unprotected. And of course, it's the only kidney that he has that works. So that's why he can't play contact sports. But anyway, so we walked into that NICU stay thinking that it was going to be fairly simple. And then on day nine, that's okay. I love the same. I know. Yeah. Um, and then on day nine, he uh, stopped breathing and coded and we had to resuscitate him all while Scott and I were in the room praying with the priest. So, and then emergency transported to the children's hospital mm-hmm. and underwent surgery where he had a two in 10 chance of surviving. So that sort of started like, I feel like in pandemic, like that's sort of when we're like, oh, we need to settle in. Like this is going to be a yeah. long, a long road. And so it was with Luke. I mean, we were in the NICU for 44 days. He did survive the surgery, obviously, since he just celebrated an 11th birthday. And he had 15 specialists. We went through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of therapy with him, teaching him how to eat and how to walk and how to do all sorts of things. And so Luke's big earthquake on our family, I think, was a realization that life is precarious Mm -hmm. and that you can do all the right things and crappy things still happen. But... If we had sat in that space and just believed that only bad things will happen no matter what we do, I think we would have discounted the grace of of Jesus. And so, I mean, we weathered all of that. We went through all that because we just kept coming back to Christ. Because I was like, when you go through something that hard and everybody has something, maybe it's a loss of a job, it's another illness, it's a fractured relationship with a family member. But I mean, I think you really only, two things either happen. You either walk towards Jesus or you walk away from him. But an event like that doesn't leave you unchanged. And, I mean, I grew up as a Protestant. I grew up loving Jesus and having this relationship with him. So I knew walking away from him was not possible. It doesn't mean that I wasn't really frustrated with him. Like, I had mm-hmm. some words for Jesus mm-hmm. that I should not say on this podcast. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I was really honest with him. And I think for the first time, I finally moved from the Jesus is amazing, he's, you know, all kittens and rainbows, to one, he's a savior who died on the cross who really does understand suffering and grief and pain. And I'm going to have a real conversation with him because he's a real life person who mm-hmm. really does get it. And so we finally had a grown up relationship. Like I finally said, I'm tired of having this like surface level relationship with you. And in order for me to go deeper, that means that I have to be more, more vulnerable. And that was really hard. And there, there's so many parallels between what happened to us 11 years ago and continues to happen. And I'll say Luke is going to be giving us lessons, you know, for the rest of our life. I don't think it was a one-time thing. And then to parallel that with everything that we're going, and it's not just pandemic, it's 2020. Let's right. just say 2020. It's just 2020 it's across just the board. It's 2020 across the board. So I do believe that there's some parallels that in some ways that that experience in the NICU prepared us for another catastrophic event and a series of catastrophic events. It also taught me um, how to love, like how to love when it's hard mm-hmm. and how to just see people from a different perspective. I mean, the NICU, like when you scrub in at the sink and you wash your hands, which also feels very pandemic, um, <laughs> we meet people from all walks of life, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic status, every um, education level, you know, whatever. The, the NICU doesn't discriminate. And so standing at that NICU sink, I met people that I would have never knowingly walked out and met in my real life. Mm-hmm. And it opened my eyes to there are some amazing people that don't think the same way that I do, that don't look the same way, that don't live in the same place. Right. And those were, I guess, maybe conversations or places that I hadn't ever maybe really pushed myself to be in. But the NICU forced us there. And then, like, I saw their humanity. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I got a lot to learn. 
Mm-hmm. So I think Luke was a profound gift. While I would absolutely take away the suffering and the pain and all of that, mm-hmm. I would never take away how much it changed us. I mean, it was absolutely part of God's plan. And, uh, yeah, so that's the short story of, so, of what Luke is doing. Wow. A few years ago, I actually talked about this conference on our last podcast. We went to a women's conference, and Catherine was a speaker there. And it was really in the like early days of you speaking kind of publicly. And I remember they put you in a classroom and I think that there was a limit of how many people could be in there but we just hid in the back yeah we did <laughs> do you remember that with our lunch just sitting there <laughs> so Kendra the and I were curled up in a little ball in the back like maybe they won't see us and they were kicking people out and <laughs> thank the good lord they did not kick me out because I needed to hear that that day it was right in the middle of some really hard times with Libby and you told the story of looking up at the window mm-hmm. and it became a mantra for Kendra and I Kendra would come outside and say one of these days you're going to look up at that window Mm-hmm. One of these days, it may not be today, but mm-hmm. one day you're going to look up at the window. And then she would say, you're not looking up today, but you saw the window two days ago. Don't forget the window <laughs> exists. Will you tell us the looking up at the window story? Yeah, so it's a story that I almost put in the book, but actually uh, I pulled it out because I felt like it was a story best told mm-hmm. um, by me as opposed to in a book. So Luke was on his final surgery. It was brain surgery. We went out with a bang. Ooh, <laughs> and wow. uh so he was day two of post-surgery on Tylenol with Dr. Brain surgery. Wow. This kid is super tough. But there's a, there's a really beautiful chapel in the children's hospital. And when Luke coded and had to be resuscitated and underwent that emergency surgery, that's the chapel that Scott and I went to to pray. Mm-hmm. And we sat in front of the tabernacle, which I always say felt like 15 minutes, but it was really about two and a half hours. Wow. And, um, and we prayed with Dominican sisters in that chapel with almost every surgery in the rosary. So that chapel has particularly special meaning to us. The hidden story about that is that very few people in the hospital know that when you walk into that chapel, there's a little door that walks out into a balcony. And it's not fancy. I mean, it's like a little place to sit. but There's really not, nothing to look at except hospital windows. So nobody's ever out there. Mm-hmm. So after Luke was on day two of his brain surgery, I just needed a quiet place to go. It was like 9 o'clock at night. Um, I knew that they weren't going to pay just just yet, so I knew I could jailbreak for a minute. And so we went out and we just stood on that balcony, and it was quiet, and the wind was blowing. But one thing about that balcony is there's a a view to the NICU. So the NICU's on the fourth floor. This is on the second. And we walked out there, and I could see, like, the silhouette of a mom with her baby. And I just looked at that, and knowing where she was, knowing that she was in the NICU, and then I looked at Luke and, like, how far we had come, because by this point he's four years old seven surgeries we finally finished them and we were largely out of therapy at this point mm. and I just remember looking at him and looking at that window and saying man if if I could have told the Catherine then what the Catherine knows today I mean it's all going to work out and it's going to look nothing like what she thought it would or that it could yeah. you know, but we're going to make it we're going to get from there to the fourth floor to here to reality and it's going to be a really beautiful hard journey but we're going to be grateful for it so I mean there's a part of me that just wanted to go up there and hug that mom and say hang in there I know it sucks but you're gonna you're gonna escape the vortex someday and I can't guarantee that it's going to be with a perfectly healthy baby or even with a baby but you're eventually going to get out of the vortex yeah and the NICU doesn't make any promises so it was just a really like poignant full circle moment for me to be like deep breath okay we can do this and I was grateful I was deeply grateful for all of that and I never thought that I would be like at a place where I would be grateful for the cross Mm -hmm. we were actually uh, a few weeks ago we went to Holy Cross uh, which is a parish on the east side in Austin it's traditionally black catholic church and the priest said this about crosses and it has stuck with me for a really long time he Mm -hmm. said 
we often carry our crosses, but he said, I find it helpful to color code my crosses. Oh, wow. And he said this, he said, uh, I color code, he said, the white crosses are the ones that I'll always carry, but I've made peace with. Oh. And when he said that, he went on to explain the rest, but, but that one in particular, I was like, I think, I think we're finally there with the cross of prematurity. I think we finally made peace with it. doesn't mean that it isn't still hard or that there aren't still hard things to come, but I'm finally in a place I'll carry it with peace and with gratitude. And so it's taken, it's taken a long time to get there, but that moment in particular was a real turning point yeah. for us and our family and in my faith. Wow. So do you ever have a moment that you think back on and you think, okay, God got me through this. I mean, obviously Luke and, and his hospital stay would be the biggest, but are there others where you're like, he took me through this, he can take me through what I'm going through now. Do you have any of those moments? Yeah, I mean, I told somebody the other day, I said, I went through the hardest thing or one of the hardest things that a mom can go through, you know, seeing your child die and then come back and some moms see their children die and never come back mm-hmm. um so I think I mean that for me that was the hardest I think we all have a moment like that's the hardest mm-hmm. so that's my barometer I'm like well it wasn't this that is bad. hard <laughs> but it's not that hard <sighs> and you know I don't allow myself to go back I mean there were some really difficult moments and there's mm-hmm. only certain times that I'll allow myself to, to step back into that pain because it's pretty painful mm-hmm. but I know that, and it, and it doesn't mean that, like, when other hard things happen, like, when you start to have adult kids, that's a whole new season of parenthood and, like, of seeing yeah. your heart just, like, you know, there's one of seeing your heart under an incubator, and then there's another one of seeing it drive away off to college. Like, mm-hmm. those are equally difficult, just in very different ways. But I always come back to that. I'm like, all right, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I mean, I told him this a few months ago. I was like, listen, <laughs> this is difficult. We're going through a hard season with one of our kids, and I know that you got us through that, and I'm yeah. trusting. Don't let me down. Like, I'm <laughs> trusting that you're going to get us from there to here because this is brutal. Um, so it doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, well, this is, we've been through hard things. This will be fine. Like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I still have very honest conversations with Jesus and probably some really lengthy confessions with my priest about why he's not moving faster. <laughs> but um, it absolutely gave me perspective which is mm-hmm. what I needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, motherhood is a season of gaining life experience and walking through that and loving your kids where they are and loving your spouse where they are and then saying, okay, so this is going to make us better. So I'm going to, you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time, which was the mantra that we learned in the NICU. And so I think that's what we just keep mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, One day at a time, one hour at a time. Or 15 yeah. minutes. If right. an hour is too long, yeah. trust me, been there. There was a time when we were really struggling that one day – was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And it was like, okay, I'm just going to make it to the next hour. 24 hours is a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. I mean, <laughs> especially when feel... you only get six hours to sleep. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> exactly. And I think... Or not consecutive six hours. <laughs> right. right. And I think right. there were times for me where I would be really struggling in the morning. And then I would pray and then God would give me some grace. And then by the afternoon, sometimes I would even forget what had happened that morning. Mm. And it was like God like taking that pain away from me. Like, look, your life yeah. is great. <laughs> because that's yeah. what I needed to be able to make it to the next morning. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, I was talking to a mom the other day and uh, she said, I just feel she's struggling with one of her kids. And she said, I just feel like I'm not giving enough attention to my other ones because all my mm. energy is expended in this one. I was like, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. I said, I had a, a wise mom tell me one time, she said, do the best that you can. And she said, at the end of the day, ask God to fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You say that a lot. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you do. Yeah. You're like, Jesus, I'm going to need you to like fill, take your grace and like pour it in all the cracks mm-hmm. and trust that right. give me, give me the grace to do my best right. and whatever that looks like today. And then I'm going to trust that you're going to fill it in. Yeah. yeah. And especially I think in, w- there's so much mom guilt 
in motherhood, right? And you haul full. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And I know that I'm human. Um, and there are days when I wound my children, you know? And so that's when that prayer comes in for me. It's like, I know I messed up. I know I didn't handle the situation well, but God just cover that wound, cover that wound so that not 10 years later they look back and it unleashes and they're finally having this realization that that's what caused it, you know, just, just Mm -hmm. start healing it now here and now. Oh, can I say something? Can I say a soapbox thing? It's your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say something? I think that's beautiful what you said, by the way, Kendra. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think that everything we do and say on the daily basis is going to make long-term effects for our kids. Mm -hmm. And I think they're much more resilient than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched my kids go through some really intense suffering, especially the older sister having to watch the kids who are, who have um, needs. And there's like a little joke around circles where people say, I'm already paying for my kids' therapy someday. Mm-hmm. And that's very wounding to me. Mm. You know, it's okay if your kids need therapy. It's mm-hmm. okay. It's not something we've caused in them. It's not something where, because it's like a little joke, like I know I'm going to hurt my kids, so one day I'm going to go ahead and, and yeah. start their therapy fund now. But, like, if, if that's where you are right now, and there's, I feel like there's just somebody who needs to hear that message, that that's okay. And yeah. I had to hear it from someone that said, it's okay for your kid to go to therapy before I was able to do that. So just yeah. kind of cover that in yeah. case, in well, case that stirs something up. Yeah, and it's okay that's for your marriage to go to counseling. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Those yeah. aren't signs of weakness. No. Yeah. And I think in Christian circles, people believe that if you do those things, that you must not be doing it right. Mm-hmm. If you need medication or you need a third party or you need, you know, a mother's helper to come over to the house because you're overwhelmed, the people are like, well, you're clearly not cut out for this or you mm-hmm. had too many kids or yeah. you're just inept, you're inadequate. And that's so false. Um, it's, a, it's a false narrative that, that we women tend to perpetuate and it's, it's not okay. You mm-hmm. absolutely can ask for help. You absolutely, there are seasons in every motherhood and every household where you have had to ask for help. Yeah. either professionally or with your friends, and that is okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a big advocate and believer that I wish more people took the time to do that. In fact, I had a friend tell me the other day, his gift that he gave to his wife when they got married was that he gave her uh, counseling sessions. And people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you did that. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just like you would go to the doctor for preventative care, mm-hmm. the yeah. same thing. He said, I care so much about our marriage that I never want us to be in a place where we would see walking away as an option. So I'm on the on the front side. I'm telling mm. you that you're a priority. And I was like, wow. Oh, Ooh, what a difference that would have made for us. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. We learned everything the hard way, wow. <laughs> you know? As do all of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I thought that was a, a, a beautiful perspective in kind of destigmatizing yeah. what counseling or therapy can look like. It's so right. beautiful because you're really just walking through these feelings and these emotions and these hurts and letting the Lord speak into them mm-hmm. and taking away that doubt and that fear and the place where the enemy gets to have a stronghold. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just a way to be able to voice what you're feeling inside. But yeah. for some reason, it has this big, strong stigma on it. And, yeah. and it's okay to tell your kids, too, like, I screwed up. Yeah. I messed up. I should have done this differently. I know that hurt you. Will you please forgive me? Absolutely. And that's not necessarily something that I heard growing up. Not that my parents were terrible, but that's just not something that you did back then. And I, I think after Luke, we started saying, "Man, we are messing this and this up and that up." And so I'm just going to call it out because I, for the same reason that, like when my kids hit their sibling, I'm like, "You need to tell your sibling that you're sorry, and you need to mean it, mm-hmm. and you need to reflect on that." And I'm like, "Well, if I'm asking them mm-hmm. to do that." 
Yeah. I'm not perfect, so I clearly need to do some forgiving, yeah. and I need to ask for some hard? forgiveness. Of course <laughs> it's it is. So oh, hard. It's hard. Swallow the pride. Woo. Swallow <laughs> that pride. Big pill. <laughs> humility. A whole lot of humility. A whole lot of humility. <laughs> so one yeah. of my kids from one time, they were like, that doesn't sound like you mean it, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I don't, but I'm just asking you to forgive but me. But I'm trying to. So question about that, because I have my kids say they're sorry, and, you know, sorry. But then you say, okay, that didn't sound very genuine. But then they can act and say, oh, I'm so sorry. But do they really mean it? Like, how? to what level do you say, you are not sorry and you need to go think about this, you know? I guess it depends on the offense, you know, like if it's just a hip check to the sibling. Yeah. All right. But if it's a, like, if it's a really hurtful comment, I'm like, I'm going to need you to think about that. Yeah. And I actually don't need you to say that you're sorry yet until you've really reflected on that. And then I want you to come back. And I want you to put yourself in the other shoes and imagine that that kid is not saying that to you. How does that make you feel? Yeah. It's good Catholic guilt, right? That's good. So I want That's you to good. think about how does that make you feel? Like, yeah. And, and I think it's important that we teach our kids what it feels like to be somebody else. Yeah, what is it? What definitely. does that feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, because we have lost empathy in our world today. Absolutely. What does it feel like to be somebody else? What does it feel like to live in a different neighborhood? What does it feel like, you know, to have a different skin color? Like, what does that feel like? Right. I don't know what that feels like, mm-hmm. but you need to ask and you need to listen. And if I'm asking my kids to do that, then, you know, mm-hmm. then I have to be willing to do the same. But I think it, I think it depends on yeah. I think <laughs> just we... how serious the damage is that yeah. they did and, 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 and to how far you push and how old they are. I mean, yeah. a two-year-old versus a 12-year-old? Yeah, different. it's different. Right. It's different. Right. Yeah. Just, Usually the standard line in our house is, oh, it's Gianna. She's six. Mom, you say that all the time. I'm like, but she's before the age of reason. She's six. She doesn't she's, know. But you're 13. You know. Yeah. So. I think I let that go on a little too long in our house, too, because now he's not the baby anymore. I'm like, Perpetually the baby. Yeah. Hard. Now he's the big brother. Whoops. That when she's 18. It's likely, but we're not there yet. So. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah. Actually, speaking of Gianna, so that's the second part of your story that really struck me. Um. And I can, it's funny when, when the Holy Spirit really speaks and you like remember where you were and what it looked like and what it sounded like. And one day I was cleaning out toys in my house for some reason. I was all alone and I decided to organize the house. I don't know what that was about. (laughs) And I'm like cleaning the toys upstairs and I thought, I'm going to click on Catherine Whitaker's face or her website. I don't know what possessed me to do this. And you had an audio recording of a talk that you had given. I don't know what that day drew me to it. But I sat there and listened to this audio recording. And of course, I've heard your story a bunch of times at this point, right? I've seen it live. I've heard it. But in that moment, it hit me in a new and different way. And you were telling the story of Gianna. And I um, just felt the Holy Spirit like speaking and saying, just reach out to Chad. Just, just send Chad a text message right now. Just, just text him and, and, and ask him if, if he might pray about having another baby. Will you tell us about Gianna? Yeah, so uh, Luke was probably about four years old, and certainly before then, I was not open to having any more children. It was incredibly stressful. I, I can't underscore enough just how difficult those first few years were with him, like how mission critical, like how we lived on the edge, mm-hmm. um, and it was hard. And so mm-hmm. the thought of, first of all, adding another baby to the mix and then having to go through the pregnancy to add the baby was like major PTSD tr- triggers, which mm-hmm. is why we ended up in marriage counseling. <laughs> so that's a long story. But um, about four years later, so after that brain surgery, uh, we started asking Luke specialists. 
So if we were to consider to have another baby, like, what do you think about that? And all of them, without exception, were like, in fact, one of his specialists said, I think the world needs more Whitakers. So to have her say that, and she was his developmental pediatrician. So these were people that intimately knew the medical side of Luke's Luke's journey. So it meant a lot for them to say that. And on the other side, I had friends and family who were like, absolutely not. You do not need to have another baby. That's irresponsible. Um, You know, and I think that looks different for every family. I'll say that. So we committed it to prayer. I I felt like we weren't quite at peace. Like I felt like something or someone was missing. Mm -hmm. And so we put it to prayer. And um, I don't want to spoil the whole story. It's the last chapter in the book. Oh, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) But St. Therese had a really beautiful um, intercession into our family. And so ultimately we decided to take the leap and say, let's see what God does with this. Let's be open to the gift of life again. And um, and he gave us Gianna. And um, I always say that she was... uh, the thing that we didn't know we needed. You know, she healed us in ways mm-hmm. that I didn't know that we needed to be healed. And uh, her birth was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the, the nurses and the doctors that God put in that room were stunning. I even had a birth photographer. I was so hippie Aww. Austin. <laughs> and I had a birth photographer. And I birthed without drugs the first time I've ever done that. That was intense. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I can say highly recommend, but for me in that moment, that's what I needed to heal. God yeah. knew that. Yeah. And cause everyone was like, you're going to do what? You've had five epidurals. Why would you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't tried it. We should try that. Let's do that. What do you think? That sounds fun. Let's do that. I mean, pain. Yeah. I'm up for that. Um, but I had back surgery. So I was like, I was no stranger to pain, but she was such a gift to our family and continues to be. So her name, yeah. um, her middle name is Therese mm-hmm. and her first name is Gianna after uh, St. Gianna Mola, the mother um, who gave birth. And died through childbirth to give life to her daughter. Mm. So I do believe that there were a lot of saintly presence in that room, a lot of a lot of Jesus mm. in that room. Yeah. Um, I believe that God allowed that to happen because he knew that's what our family needed. So the joke in our family is that Gianna does no wrong. Everyone loves her. She can completely destroy the house. And everyone's like, oh, it's Gianna. She's so fun <laughs> joy so all the time. <laughs> such a rainbow of light in our house. I yeah. love having her. And I can't yeah. imagine um, not having her. Um, it would have been an entirely beautiful, amazing family had we not, but that was in yeah. God's plan, and I'm grateful it was. Yeah, yeah. That's So I sat there that day thinking, I think the part that really struck me was how she brought so much joy and healing that you didn't know you needed. And at that moment, I knew we needed healing. <laughs> like, there was a whole lot of healing that needed to happen in our family. And I remember Chad saying, you can't have a baby to heal our family. And I was like, but if God's calling us to it, yeah. that's what we need. And uh, it was funny that day. It happened to be the beginning of the novena of... St. Zelie and Louis Martin. And you oh. had mentioned Therese. And I was like, well, who better to ask for prayers yes. than St. Zelie and Louis, you know, the best parents ever. So I said, Chad, just, just pray with me. And we started that novena. And by the end of it, I don't think it was the end. I think it was like day four or five. <laughs> he was like, yes, let's have a baby today, right now. How do we make this happen now? And <laughs> I think like, I just actually, high five you in the hallway. Oh, yeah. you like high five High five. What just happened? <laughs> and, uh, and so, of course... Everything fell into place so perfectly. I was like, it's St. You know, Zelly and Lewis, and we're going to get pregnant right away. And it didn't take us that long, but it felt like an eternity because, you know, yeah. that's how it is when you're waiting. And um, so that was like July, I guess. And um, I started praying the St. Therese Novena, which is actually right now, um, when I was hoping to get pregnant. And we found out on her feast day that we were pregnant with this little... I didn't know that. This oh, little lady. Isn't that cool? And she is Teresa... Marie after Therese and all the other Teresas because why choose just one (laughs) when you can choose them all? Take them all. But yeah, the same, like just feeling like, man, when you ask her for prayers, she shows up. 
you yeah. know, and, and I think you even said that, and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, St. Therese had been a huge part of our NICU stay. Mm-hmm. She was the saint that I really connected with, and um, and we had a picture of her in our hospital room, so it went with Luke everywhere, and it opened up so many conversations oh, cool. with doctors and nurses. In fact, one, one of the, when we were in the ICU, uh, the doctor came in, and when he left, he left like 20 minutes later. We had a really beautiful conversation with him about faith and um, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And he left and the, the nurse came in and she said, what did you say to him? I said, I don't know. We were just talking about Jesus. And she said, I have never in the 30 years that I've been a nurse ever seen him stay that long in a patient's room and talk to them. Wow. And I was Whoa. like, I said, it's all Luke, man. It's all yeah, Luke. He opened so yeah. many conversations and doors. Like we had a, a chaplain who was on his, um, pastoral, uh, I forget what they call it. Like they have to, when you're in seminary, you serve your chaplaincy and go to a hospital. And he came in our room and we asked for community, came back and it was before Luke's brain surgery. And it was this beautiful conversation. He's now a priest in Louisiana. And we found out we had all these connections. I'm like, what are the odds that that was his rounds on that day in this room? Like you do, you see God and all of that. And I think maybe that's maybe the bigger lesson of Luke is that, I mean, we always knew that Christ was around, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that they were all present. But I think Luke allowed us to like be open to that, like seeing it mm-hmm. knowingly and, and being grateful for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to be like, oh, it's such a coincidence that I got that parking spot. Or, oh, I can't believe that friend just dropped by. And then dismissing it as a coincidence instead of saying, no, yeah. hey, when I was running errands all that day and I ran into that person, even though I had 8,000 things to do, I still talked to them. And you're like, but maybe that's exactly what I needed to yeah, do. Yeah. And you start recognizing the providential nature of our lives, yeah. that they're created in a certain way. Yeah. And I think I stopped being frustrated with the inconveniences. And I'm like, well, yeah. I must need to see yeah. somebody today. Yeah. Or, you know, somebody must need to say something to me that I definitely need to hear because he's inconveniencing us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I use that with air quotes. So. <laughs> I think it's going to be so fun um, to to see the people that are impacted by our yes, our little mm-hmm. yeses, our big yeses. Um, you enduring um, all that you went through with Luke um, to see the lives that are transformed and changed or mm-hmm. that we're not going to get to see this side of heaven. Yeah, you oh. know, just by just by your yes, like you never you never know. Like the doctor's world could totally be turned around, and then who did he touch? And who did he touch? Yeah. And so yeah, and this little baby, like from your yeah. story, you know. Yeah, and since I'm sitting here with two women who are such amazing moms and have. We, we talked to... Like How our many beginning, kids do we have between us? I was going to say, our thing is that we have 10 between us. Right now, we have 16, 16. between us. That's a lot of babies. Woo, that's a lot of little like, evangelists to go out into the world. Yes, watch out, world. Someday. There's a lot of babies. Um, but, you know, I, you and I both were not raised Catholic. And so the idea of a big family just didn't wasn't part of our... That's not how we were raised, you know? You mm-hmm. had two kids, and that was it, and you're done. And um, being open to life is a new top subject for us, you know, Mm -hmm. for me and my family. And you guys have both lived that out so beautifully. And I think that Tessa's taught me so much about how much joy a baby can bring Mm -hmm. and how much the world needs that joy. And having big kids, so my kids have an eight-year gap between the two youngest. So having big kids and a baby has been the most precious time I could have ever believed. So what does it mean to you guys, both of you, like to be open to life and to know that these kids are needed in your family and mm-hmm. make a difference in the world? That's a big question. That's a big Have question. <laughs> Go ahead, Kendra. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, um, you know, being open to life is beautiful. It's what we're called to, and there's so many graces that come with it, but it's also a cross. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, how many of my, four of my six 
were surprises. And, um, and that's hard when you're, you're in the thick of it with littles. And then all of a sudden when you're not expecting it, you have positive pregnancy tests and it's really hard sometimes to see the beauty of it, to see the grace of it, to see God's plan with it. Um, and there have been some pregnancies for me where I just fought the entire way. Not that I wanted anything to happen to the baby, of course, but I just was like, I I don't want this. This is an inconvenience. I can't do this. It's too hard. You know, we're going to have to change our schedule, all these different things. Um, but when you hold that baby in your arms and then they, they start to grow up and you see how they transform your family and they transform your heart, there's nothing like it. And so I don't know if I'm ever going to learn my lesson <laughs> ever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, and, and I say that with reserve because I also know that there are so many women who suffer with infertility mm-hmm. the and, and that sides. the crosses are on both sides for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, e- each one of them has been exactly what my heart needed and Chris too. And you didn't even know you needed didn't it. even know I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we said we were done after John Paul. He's our second. <laughs> I looked Surprise! At, I, know, I looked at Scott and I said, because he was a really difficult baby in the sense that I didn't get to sleep with him. He was colicky. He had reflux. Like, oh, it was just hard. Like, after mm-hmm. coming off of a perfect baby with Will, mm-hmm. and he slept through the night at six weeks, and everything was textbook. I was like, why are easy. people parenthood <laughs> so easy? People just need to read James Dobson's books, and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and then we got John Paul. <laughs> That's what we get for naming him after. But um, yeah, so I told Scott that's it, we're done. And then my surprise a few months later with Anna Laura. So I think every family size looks different. And I think that's what I always tell people. I'm like, hey, we were called to have six babies. You may only Mm -hmm. be called to have two babies. Or you may have to carry the cross of infertility and Mm -hmm. your babies may not come or they may come through adoption Mm -hmm. um, or through foster care or whatever. So it opened my eyes, I think, to that family sizes all look different. It matters more like what we do within the context of our family, Mm -hmm. like how are we creating them to be holy, um, contributing, beautiful members of society and in the church. And I am grateful that God thought that I was capable enough to have six kids because there are a lot of times I was like, are you sure? There's, I know this yeah. really amazing person named Kendra. She's super good with kids. You should probably give her some more. I don't know if you should give us so some more. So that's why I have so many surprises. <laughs> Sorry. You know. I kept sending them to your house. They're so funny. Didn't work, though, because I was going to have But, yeah, I mean, I think that probably infertility is something that no one talks about in yeah. the church. And, um, I mean, I do. I think about that, like, when I'm sitting in the pew, back when we used to do that. You know, there are a lot of people around. Um, but I think about that when I sit in the pew, and I think, like, what does that family who has one child, like, what story do they have that I'm unaware mm-hmm. of? And it makes you less judgmental and more grateful yeah. for their witness. Absolutely. And um, and I think that's what my kids, I think every child and, and every opportunity for sanctification, like, God purifies me with each one. I've yeah. just had a little bit extra practice maybe than some people. Um, and I always say I'm a slow learner. That's why I have so many kids <laughs> because God's like, I've got some lessons to teach you. So I do think that that's been the gift of them is that they're teaching me how to be a better Christian. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, I have a question just to revert to kind of the beginning of the conversation um, when you were sharing the story of Luke and the NICU and, and you were given the odds of two out of ten. Hmm. I think I missed that part. Wow. How... In the thick of it, like we can look back on on these really just dark moments of our lives and see how God worked and ordained things, um, even if they didn't turn out the way that we hoped. But in the thick of it, 
how do you focus on the eight and not the two? Well, sorry, so, the two, not the eight. Yeah, <laughs> no, sorry. No, so uh, when he went into surgery, we knew that he was critical, but we didn't know the 20% chance until the doctor came in later yeah. at post-surgery to tell us how the surgery went. He said, I need you to know that he has about a 20% chance. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, I think there was a grace in not knowing that initially. And, and, and really all the signs should have told us that it was super bad because first of all, it was in the middle of the night that we did the surgery. The second was that, oh. is that they allowed us to walk to the OR doors, like where they have the big whiteboard and it said L. Whitaker Exploratory Laparotomy. And, like, the anesthesiologist was standing, like, everyone was right there. And I've sent enough babies into surgery to know that that is not the way that it looks. Yeah. But I didn't know, I didn't have that perspective because I'd never had a kiddo who'd been sick before. I mean, we'd never, Will had been in the hospital, our oldest, for um, uh, something. I'm blanking. But he'd been in the hospital for something. It was overnight. I thought, oh, my God, this is horrible. (laughs) And it was horrible. But, boy, was that perspective. So we didn't know the 20% until after he came out of surgery. And when the doctor said, you know, I mean, basically, I need to prepare you that this could end badly. You know, we don't know what we're going to find. We don't know how it's going to react. He had uh, necrotizing intercolitis. I probably should have said that. So it's the death of the bowel. So the intestinal infection was eating away at his bowel. And when your bowel dies, it doesn't come back. And your bowel is super important. Your colon is super important. And he lost sections of his small intestine and sections of his colon. So we didn't know what that was going to look like long term. And so when he told us 20%, and then we start thinking, well, what else is going to go wrong? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I started to go into the, the spiral of, I can't care for a special needs child. This is too much. I, what if he has a colostomy for the rest of his life? God, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, you saved him, and then now this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that looks like. So I always said I had to have my cry in the corner with the Kleenex kind of moment. Like, I just mm-hmm. let it all out, and I was frustrated, and I felt sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Scott came in, my husband, and he said, Catherine, um, you're stronger than this. Mm-hmm. Like, he needs you. And then and then I just shifted into, I knew his O2 levels. I was watching his stuff, and Scott was like, Catherine, the doctor. So um, at Dell, which is the hospital that he was at, they're really focused on family-centered care, which means that the doctors come to our room, and these were all the specialists, all the nurses, and they would talk and they would say, Mom, what do you think? How do you feel? So we were a part of the care team. Before, it used to be doctors would make decisions and you were just the parent. Um, at Dell, it's you're very much a part of the care team. And I think that transformed for me because now I was like, I have a job. Like yeah. My job is to be oh, the expert yeah. on Luke. And nobody, no matter how many years of medicine they have, nobody knows Luke like I do. Yeah. And so then I became an advocate and mm-hmm. that like, completely opened up a new side of my heart that I did not know like mama bear like came out and I was like I'm an advocate for my baby that feels wrong I don't want to do that and then I started negotiating with the doctors I don't think that's the right I don't think we should do that and they would say what do you think we should do and I would say I think we should do this so I think my perspective on getting him to a better place um, God planted in me as side of advocacy and I think Mm -hmm. that shifted quit focusing on the 20% Catherine and start thinking about what's possible. Yeah. Because, and and same thing through therapy. Like Luke only knows what he can't do if you tell him. Mm. But if you just keep encouraging him, then he's going to quit focusing on what he can't do and be like, Mm -hmm. but look at what you can. Mm -hmm. Like today you can, um, you can eat macaroni and cheese. I don't know if we're ever going to eat a burger, but today you can do that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then you start thinking and, and 
it was the struggle of like, mm-hmm. I'm super frustrated. We can't do this, but no, yes, we can. And I think the yes, we can eventually overcame because God was gracious enough to send us people that were encouragers. Like yeah. their goal is to make kids live up to their potential. And I just leaned into that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and it didn't hurt that some of them were Aggies. So <laughs> I trusted them a little bit more, but sure. it was a, it was a process. I mean, I don't want to paint it as we left that emergency surgery room and all of a sudden I was focused on the 80%. It was this constant battle between me and Jesus, like yeah. trusting, not trusting, trusting, not trusting. And eventually yeah. I think he won me over. I'm over on the 50% side, you know, like, okay, I believe, I'm going to believe you more than I'm not going to believe you. Yeah. And it was a process. So Luke keeps defying the odds. I mean, every year we send his specialist a Christmas card and give them an update. And every year they're like, I can't. I can't believe it. We saw his wow. uh, general surgeon who he did three of Luke's seven surgeries. And uh, Luke's neurosurgeon actually died in a tragic accident mm-hmm. uh, last fall. And when we went to that visitation, which was profound and beautiful to see how many people this man touched, he was a rock star. Losing him was pretty hard. Yeah. But as I'm seeing like all these specialists in this room and they're all like, I can't believe, I can't believe Luke. Mm-hmm. So it was reassuring to know that like this kid, I don't know. I don't know what Jesus is going to do with him. Right now, he wants to be a race car driver. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? Race cars? Don't you know how dangerous those are? Right. But it's not contact sports, Mom. I'm like, I know. I know. No, it's not. But it's a race car driving 200 miles an hour. But, I mean, I look at them, and I think he he has a purpose. And and, yeah. and the, the, the thing that I love most about Luke's story is that, I mean, I tell it from my perspective. I don't know what Luke is going to yeah. Share and I try to be sensitive to that to to stay like what does it mean for me and our family because mm-hmm. I know that Luke has a different narrative and he's just now starting to ask what's the scar what is that like mm-hmm. how like he's just starting to have the realization of his own story and I want him to have ownership of that and so I try to be sensitive to what I share and what I focus on and then allowing him to share whatever story God is mm-hmm. that God wants him to do so we'll see what he has in store. Beautiful. It's a big hitter for the kingdom, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and his name is Luke. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luke Doctor. Timothy. Luke Timothy oh, is the perfect, yeah. So um, it's no surprise that the last couple of months of 2020 have been hard. And we're going into an election season, which seems really intense and hard. And I've been really impressed by the way you have humbly led Instagram. <laughs> I saw something well, yesterday. I just want to tell you. Right, maybe, okay, I saw this guy posted yesterday, preach the gospel every day, and if you have to, use Instagram. And I was like, I love that. And well, that new cute. take on well, Francis. Francis. Yes. CC now. Um, but you've led in a beautiful, humble way, in a way that I think I desperately needed and many others in the Catholic Church needed. Yeah. And it was, a, it was almost a posture of, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to love people along the way. Um, and I've thought that that was so beautiful. So tell us a little bit, like, how are you, where did that come from? How are you doing that? And you said you went to the historically black Catholic church in Austin. What was that like? I would love to be there. I have never in my life felt more welcome in a parish, Protestant or otherwise, than we did in that parish that day. Every single parishioner came out to us. Thank you for coming. It's so good to see you. Um, Scott, my husband, had to get up at the end and, like, Father Basil made him talk, which was hilarious. Um, and, and I was surprised at how many people we knew there, like, that we had seen other places where my kids were in school with. And I was like, I had no idea. And also, 
I mean, it reminded me of my Protestant days, people saying amen. And mm, uh, like, yeah. I was like, mm. yeah. And my kids were all, I don't know. And I'm like, just lean into it, man. Yeah. Like lean into like your, like, yeah. how do you feel? Like, let that be on the outside. I was so grateful that my kids got to see the same liturgy, but practiced in a really beautiful way. Yeah. Um, I loved it. You know, I mean, when everything started happening with 2020 and then we started getting into racial injustice in May and June and I found myself like, I actually maybe need to pause here for a second. Like all along, I mean, pandemic, oh, not that I knew how to do pandemic, but I was like, this is how you live on the sunny side of life. But then we started coming up against things I didn't have life experience with. And I'm like, yeah. So I actually called a friend. Um, she and I grew up in this, a similar part of town up in the Panhandle. And we knew each other. Like, we have each other's cell phone numbers. But I called her, and I was like, maybe we should have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a Latina Catholic. She is raw and authentic, and I really love her heart. And we sat down in her garage for two and a half hours. We went through a Shiner and a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> a I think game. in that order. No, we did Dr. Pepper, then Shiner. Um <laughs> And maybe that's what maybe that's what made the conversation so good. Um, <laughs> but we were very honest with each other. I was like, "These are some things that I don't understand." Or, or, and I started to realize maybe that thing that I said four or five months ago may not have been as sensitive as what I initially thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like maybe wow. I thought I was making a proclamation about the state of the world and we should or shouldn't be doing this. And then I was like, "Oh, I can see how that people took that wrong." But before I was like, I couldn't see that. Yeah. And so I just started, we started listening to some of our friends and I started encountering people um, and saying like, I don't understand, but I really want to understand. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing to me is that I had no idea how controversial that was going to be. But I mean, if anything that I learned with Luke, it's like, if you just lead with love, man, like yeah. let, let your kids know, let the people yeah. that, that where you share on social media, like, I don't know. I apologize up front. I'm learning, but I want, like, I want to grow. Mm-hmm. And over these last six months, and we, we had conversations with our kids that we've never had before. And it's not that I think we were bad parents before, but our perspective changed. And I was like, we should be talking about this, yeah. or we should give our kids this perspective, or we should give them this experience, not because so that we can check the box, like, oh, we did this, we can check it, we're good Catholics, mm-hmm. but we should go do this because it's good for your soul. Like, it's good for the kingdom, yeah. and it's good for you to learn how to love people in ways that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because if we, live in a, if we live a life of comfort, we don't grow in the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God asks us to be uncomfortable. I mean, read the scriptures. Nothing that he says is, oh, that's super easy. I'm going to do that. Everything that he asks us to do is hard. It's a challenge. So living in the discomfort and living in the tension is good for you because it requires you to love people in a way that you maybe previously didn't think that you were capable of or that you mm-hmm. didn't understand before. And um, I think I just approached it with, like, I am super bad at lying. Like, I'm really bad at that. So <laughs> you get me as I am. And I just, I think I wanted people to, I mean, I wasn't trying to change anybody's hearts. I guess I was just trying to explain, like, this is where I am. So, like, if you see a shift in me or mm-hmm. if you feel like maybe I'm talking about this too much, I want you to know this is why. Yeah. Yeah. And um, everybody which I kind of find all, but everybody has a platform. There's platforms on social media. There's, but everybody has like people that they affect in their real life. Yeah. And social media is one thing and whatever. It's nice. I think we can affect change there, but I believe that maybe something there causes you to affect change in your like neighborhood, on your block, in your church, with Mm -hmm. your kids, in your family. And I think that's where the real change happens. And I think I was really encouraging people like go here, but go deep with the people in your life. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and you don't always have to like report back in on social media as to what that <laughs> looks like. And some people feel like maybe I should do that. And I'm like, you know what, there are parts of my life that are sacred and you don't get to see those on social media. Um, but I hope that you see the fruits of those on social mm-hmm. media. I hope that you see um, somebody trying to figure it out, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, um, and that both and is instead of that either or, yeah. you know, that kind of Christianity. So it has been a really fruitful, difficult, hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> but joyful and challenging season. And yeah. I'm grateful. I, in fact, I told my spiritual director this the other day. I said, um, I'm grateful for the person that I am now as opposed to February. I said, I feel like spiritually speaking, um, I'm in a significantly better place now mm-hmm. than I ever have been before. Wow. And um, he's like, that's kind of big, Catherine. I was like, I know. I wasn't expecting to say that. But, you know, <laughs> here but, we are. But here we are. And, uh, and, and also, I mean, you start to... When it comes to social media, I mean, if it's a random person that you don't know, my thin's pr- my skin is pretty thick. I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't know me. But when it's someone that I do know, I'm like, well, I'm going to need to call them. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to need to text them. Or I'm going to need to go to their house and we need to have a conversation, have a conversation. because I don't want that to be the barrier as to why we're not friends or why we can't get along. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to be friends with people that you disagree with. Yeah, yeah I agree. Shocking. So there, there's so much polarization right now um, in the world. And so many people are vocalizing themselves via social media. So someone who has a very large presence on social media, if you had everyone with an earshot, what would be your rally cry? Like your, your, your pump them up speech. Got the dog licking the box. <laughs> Chloe wants to say something. We so professional, <laughs> like you all had them on the locker room. I just envisioned this like coach's moment, you know, what, what would you say just to kind of bring them together to move forward in love and, in love and yeah. I mean, I think you have to start with a posture of humility. Mm-hmm. Like you do not have every life experience. You do not have um, every friend, like you haven't been through all the things mm-hmm. only God has. Mm-hmm. And what we think we know, there's so much we don't know. That's yeah. what I learned this summer. I don't know what I don't know. And a posture of, man, I screwed up, mm-hmm. you know, or I see it from a totally different way. And I see how maybe saying that could have hurt somebody mm-hmm. in a way that maybe I didn't know before. And we do it every day. I mean, you, we don't knowingly hurt people. I don't, I think for the most part, people don't knowingly hurt one another, but sometimes you say things and you're like, I can see how that was taken in a way that would be hurtful. Um, I think I would just encourage people that there's not only one way to heaven. You know, we all have a different path. We keep thinking if you get from point A to point B, but my path might be up the mountain and yours might be through the valley a little bit. And then up the mountain, like we discount the journey. I mean, I, I think this is okay. I mean, this is my TED talk. (laughs) This is, (laughs) this is what I think, um, really, this is what led me to the church and what I see um, leading people away from the church is that when I entered the Catholic Church or when I started to think about the Catholic Church, the people in my life who were Catholic didn't say, oh, you don't believe in the death, or you believe in the death penalty, you can't be Catholic. Um, you think that women should be priests, you can't be Catholic. And these are all things that I thought, and many more. Mm-hmm. But instead they said, well, let's talk about that. Yeah. And they led with love. And they, they let me um, live some life. They let me research some things. They let me take some things to prayer and they led me towards Jesus. That's what led me into the church. And what I see today is people say, Oh, you don't believe this. You don't believe that you can't be part of the church instead of allowing people the journey to get there. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, the journey for a teaching may take a lifetime. And for some of us, it might take a week, right? You know, but it takes time. So quit cutting people off at the knees and saying, I see where you are. I'm going to meet you right where you are. And it's not that I'm going to discount and I'm not going to 
you know, sugarcoat the truth, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to love you where you are knowing that it's my love that's going to lead you to Jesus, not my hate. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, I think my biggest (laughs) challenge. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest challenge. Because the hate's never going to get you there. Yeah. No, people want to be part of an angry church. They want to be part of a church that's fruitful. Mm -hmm. They want to be a part of a church that really does live a life led with love. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I truly believe that. You know, nobody um, is led to the church through hate. Nobody Mm -hmm. is. Mm -mm. It's through love and acceptance. And um, it doesn't mean that you accept the challenges that they may carry with them, but you accept them as a person, as a human being, Mm -hmm. and that you just keep walking with them. And here's the newsflash. That's hard, and it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to happen in a social media post. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen after election. I mean, it's just going to take time. It's messy, and it's hard, and it's not quantifiable. Mm. This isn't math that we're working with here. Yeah. It's like English. (laughs) Yes. I can relate to that. This yeah. is literature here. You know, yes. this is a, this is a story. You're you're allowing people to live their story mm-hmm. and journey through that story, mm-hmm. and by by not allowing them to journey, I think you're taking away the opportunity for them to grow in relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm sometimes a it's like a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing too. Like some people might make um, a change towards understanding and learning more, and then they kind of fall back and that's okay because you know? life is still happening in yeah because life is still happening yeah. and maybe they heard something that distracted them and I feel like that's what happened to me a lot with racial reconciliation is I was in a phase where I was really listening and learning and then my heart kind of shut off towards it all and I was like oh everything's fine you know because I kind of tend to live in a Pollyanna let's just focus on Jesus and love God and everything's <laughs> wonderful and forget that there's people hurting and this summer was a really big eye-opener for me to see how deeply people are suffering and mm-hmm. so I just want to listen. I just want to, I kind of vision myself like standing in the gap, like in the middle between this side and that side. I don't want to be on either side of a polarizing argument. I want to be close to the people who are speaking and who are hurting on both sides, you know, and just listen and try to like pull us together a little bit. Like we don't have to be all yeah. right or all left. Like there's so much beauty in the middle that the Catholic Church is calling us to love and to stand up for. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so just being in proximity to people. I grew up in, a, um, in South Dallas and a very, very, very high African-American population. My best friends were black as a child, and but now I live in Round Rock, which is totally different. Um, and I had fallen away from proximity. I really, really had. And I had Facebook friends, but I wasn't really hearing their hearts. So that's just been my thing this summer, is mm-hmm. listening and learning and loving. Loving police officers, loving everyone, just loving. The human person. The human person, like seeing the dignity yeah. in everyone. Yeah. And understanding that we all have struggles, we all yeah. have pain. And that we can kind of help carry the load for each other. Yeah, if we... we've lost sight of the beauty of humanity. Yeah. And we're yeah. pretty quick to jump on social media and say something instead of just calling that person. Yeah. Or reaching out to them or saying, hey, I know this is painful. And, you know, the, the perception is, unless you're talking about all the things on social media, that you don't care about them. And the reality is, mm. is that some of the things that you're working through don't need a live news feed. Yeah. Okay? yeah. And we can care yeah. and love about more than one thing at a time. Like, yeah. I can love... Right. I can love the unborn. I can love the pregnant mother. I can love people of color. I can love police officers. I can love them all. Like, I don't have to choose. Yeah. 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 Both and, man. Both and. Both and. We do both not need to be a right or a left. And like we, we always say, and. we do St. Nicholas and Santa Claus at our house. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> us too. Speaking of the holidays, I know that's coming up. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think a both and mentality allows us to see the dignity of the mm-hmm. human person. And, mm-hmm. um, and human people are messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also, I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to feel seen mm-hmm. and they want to feel worthy and they want to feel loved. Yep. Yes. That's, that's our thing. Yes. Seen and known no. and loved yes. and, and heard. Like yeah. we can't just discount people's 
experience as if it doesn't happen or it's not real. It is real. It is there. Yeah. yeah. Just like my 13-year-old is very dramatic. We, we told her the other day, drama is a choice. Um, you know, <laughs> that's from a good priest friend of ours. But, you know, then I have to remind myself, hey, Catherine, don't forget, as an adult, drama is a choice. Drama is a choice. <laughs> so think about how you love people and, mm-hmm. um, and think about what you need to take to prayer. Um, before you, before you speak out, before I always say, before I share something on social media, or even you know, before I blog, like the big stuff, like not, I was yeah. sharing self tanning stuff the other day. I don't usually pray about self tanning, <laughs> but like the big but stuff, I'm like, stuff. I'm gonna pray about this because I want people um, to see, and it doesn't always come across that way, but I mean, I want people to know that I approach this, mm-hmm. you know, from a place of prayer, and I think I've found that I'm going back to that more often. It's why I pray at my kitchen sink when I wash dishes every night because that's mm-hmm. sort of an opportunity for me to reflect on sort of the reflection of the day, like where did I fail my family? Where mm-hmm. did I fail my kids and how can I do better tomorrow? And how do I make peace with that? And knowing that, well, but today I did this and it was really good. Mm-hmm. And you're doing all that publicly. I'm just trying to do it with my little <laughs> Facebook friends and it feels so scary. Well, it's why I deleted my Twitter account. Okay. That was oh, I can't, even, uh, I can't even think that's about a Twitter. It's, just, yeah. it's, it's too much for me. But I'm super glad that there's people on there that are doing good things. But yeah, I found, I was like, if I'm bringing this to confession, Every time I should probably there's a problem. So I did, and I feel good about that choice. And I think too with with Instagram, I try to fill my feed full of people who are uplifting, who are challenging but uplifting and loving, and move me towards the good Mm -hmm. and not towards um, frustration or anger. And it's okay to unfollow. It's okay. I was telling people the other day. I said I think social media is uh, two parts. One part um, limiting the time that you spend on there, and the other part um, really thinking about who influences you. Like, if mm-hmm. you're going to give your life to this particular social media app, then you need to make sure that the life that you're getting back is fruitful, that it's mm-hmm. leading you towards yeah. Jesus, and um, and perhaps challenging you, giving you different perspectives. But we curate that feed. And if you watch The Social Dilemma, you'll see how even crazier that gets. But I do think it's two parts. I think it's because some people are like, oh, you should just log off of it all. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it's possible for it to be fruitful. It like is. I did the same thing with Facebook. I kind of cleaned yeah. some stuff out and I'm actually really not on there that much. But I do think that it's, it's both. And then I think the third arm of that is like really taking it to prayer. Like, why am I in this space? What does God want me to share? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think he asks that of every person that's on social media. It's not just certain people. Yeah. I mean, I, I do believe that that's a call for all of us. If you're going to be mm-hmm. in a space just for the same reason, like if you're going to be at your parish or you're going to be in your neighborhood, what what contribution are you making? Yeah. You know, how are you encouraging people yeah. to see Christ? How are you encouraging your family to love each other? And that should just be an extension of that should be reflected on social yeah. media. But it's mm-hmm. such a sliver. Like, yeah. I mean, when I add it up, I'm like, people see like, what, two and a half minutes of my day? Three minutes tops. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. lot of other minutes that I lived that were not in that <laughs> space. And, and yeah. that's where God needs me to be. Like, make the difference here. Yeah. Feel free to share it here, but you yeah. really need to be present in your own life. So so if people are, who are listening are wanting some more positivity in their feed, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can go to my blog, teamwhitaker.org. That was very good. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> it's like you're doing this. I love it. Um, and then Kay Whitaker 96 everywhere okay. else. Yeah. Okay. Not on Twitter, though. Don't look for me on Twitter. Nope. Account nope. deactivated. Um, dumpster fire. Dumpster fire, for sure. Twitter. For sure. Um, yes. So, yeah. That's where you can find That's me. awesome. That's fantastic. Well, this has been so much fun. I feel yeah. like we could sit and talk all day, but we have, like, real lives and everybody else. <laughs> Speaking of all those other minutes. Yeah. yeah. Stuff we yes. actually need to do. Yeah. Um, is there anything you didn't share that you want to share with us? I mean, I just 
I mean, I would hope that people would look at this season as not of a season of, oh, once we get through this. Mm. Because nobody really knows. Once. Don't wish it but, away. But once we get through this, there'll be something else. We know that. That's mm-hmm. life. So That's I think, true. you know, what what are we growing and what are we learning from this to make us better tomorrow? And I think we've just operated on the philosophy at our house just one week at a time. Just mm-hmm. take it one week at a time and see what fruitfulness or what hard challenges or whatever you're going to get through and then you get to the next week and then the next week and then the next yeah. week. And I know that in three days, two days, I'm going to be at an Aggie football game. I was about to say, so, I was going to ask you, what are you doing Aggie for Aggie football, football starts game? starts on Saturday. Yes, yes let's do it. It's on the calendar. Pretty <laughs> so because there's only going to be a fourth of the people there that are usually And you're going to be there? We have season tickets. So, so you can either opt in or opt out. So you can't just buy tickets to go to the game. It's only season ticket holders. And then the students get to go Good. if they had a sports pass before a certain date. Oh. So, like, the core will be there. Okay. Um, but, you know, nobody on the field. So, like, the band, they had to record it, and it's going to be on the... The band won't be there. The band is going to be there, but they don't get to oh, march at halftime. Gotcha. Yeah, they have to... They recorded it. So, I actually, I'm really looking forward to going to an event where there are, like, no people around. <laughs> yes. This is amazing. It'll be like a high school football game in a super big stadium. But isn't you know? it still like 25,000 people? Like <laughs> no people? I mean, that's the cap. I don't know if we'll hit If you'll actually 000. have that many. I mean, the, some of the things on campus are modified. There's no tailgating. So yeah, it'll be just like it was yeah. in the 90s when I was there. Like, there won't be anybody on campus. <laughs> so I told Scott, I said, I'm actually really looking forward to being completely socially distant from people wearing my mask, drinking my uh, McAllister sweet tea, and eating Ooh. my nachos, and watching the <laughs> and Aggies. Watching the it's going to be amazing. That sounds so, um, Well, absolutely you know mass and all that kind of stuff but I think you have to you have to hold on to the bits of normal that God gives you Mm -hmm. and so our son is in I should have mentioned our oldest is in the Corps of Cadets which is like ROTC at A&M and uh, and it will be a special kind of joy to see him doing that and he also works for the athletic office so to like see him in that environment was important to us I think had had Will not been there we probably wouldn't have gone Mm -hmm. but it's important for us to be present you only have a few years of that Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. And we're already in year two out of mm-hmm. year four. So I'm yeah. gonna... Maybe five. Yeah. <laughs> well, but in the four, only four. <laughs> That's only true. Four four. <laughs> and no, That's Ashley true. is on track to graduate in four years. Well done. I know. Well, Good job, Will. That's awesome. Good so, job. Yeah. Right. That's where we'll be this weekend. Well, That's this great. is wonderful. And you guys go follow Catherine and take in her wisdom and her love and her goodness. Yeah. And share some love and goodness with somebody near you today. Like yeah. she said, like love the people next to you. What yeah. does Mother Teresa say? If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yeah. Yeah. God is moving. Yep, he sure is. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.